I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll begin in just a moment, Ecclesiastes, with the seventh chapter. That song, Face to Face, brought me back to a conversation I had with my mother-in-law. That's one of the songs sung for the homegoing service of her husband, my wife's father, when he was killed tragically in an automobile accident. Face to face. It's overwhelming to think about it. To see him face to face, to know the Lord, and to be able to be able to comprehend things we can't comprehend now. It's an amazing thought. I must bring a series of messages on heaven to answer a thousand and one questions with a, a brief series of messages on the subject of heaven and what we learn from the God's word about heaven. Let's pray for together just for a moment. Would you pray, please? Our Father, we're overwhelmed at the thought of our meeting with Thee. Help us to be prepared, to have a real understanding of the moments we have, the time we have, to apply our hearts unto wisdom. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have your Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This is an amazing book of the Bible. The human penman is the preacher, Solomon. And there's so many things he deals with here. As the book is a sermon, I've written two volumes for Bible study on this particular book of the Bible. You can get them and read them. I hope they'll be a blessing and help to you. But we're in the seventh chapter now. The Bible says a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Verse 5, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Verse 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Verse 9, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Verse 10, say not thou what is the cause 
that the former days were better than these. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Verse 13, consider the work of God for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked. So much to understand here. If you turn back just for a moment, holding your place here to Ecclesiastes chapter one, it's introduced to us. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit have a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away and another generation cometh but the earth abideth forever. Verse eight, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Verse 17, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. The human penman, a king, preacher, son of David, leaves us no room for doubt that this is Solomon writing this sermon. And he starts out, vanity of vanities. He's giving counsel without God. The key expression is under the sun far removed from the Lord, just where men dwell. What men try to figure out, all the puzzles that are unsolved in the human race. He concludes in the 18th verse of the first chapter, for in much wisdom is much grief and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The more I know, the more I hate life. The more experiences he says that he has, the more grief it brings to his life. That's the way people live without God under the sun. They see no hope, no future. And they come to these conclusions. 
like in verse 15 of chapter 1, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. In other words, we're numbered among helpless people trying to fix things but they can't be fixed. Trying to straighten the crooked things in life that cannot be straightened. And it seems, as verse 18 says, for in much wisdom is much grief. And if we'd be frank, we would say, we meet many people like this. And if we're not prayerful and careful and truly follow the Lord, we come to those conclusions in our own life. Much wisdom, much grief. The more I know, the sadder I am. So there's a turning point in this sermon in chapter six. And we come to chapter seven and we hear these these proverbs. A good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death than the day of one's birth. It sounds strange leaving God out, saying things like that. Verse two, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. We're gonna learn more in the house of mourning. This is applying God to life. Verse three, sorrow is better than laughter. Verse four, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Verse five, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Verse eight, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. You have to have wisdom and understanding to think. You're so excited about good things happening. But God tells us this, better is the end than the beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. We learn that. We learn in verse nine, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. If I were being very frank with you and you were being very frank with me, we would say more harm has done in anger, more tragedy caused by uncontrolled anger than almost anything we could ever imagine. So be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. How many of us have tried to undo what we've done in anger? It's so terribly difficult to undo it. 
Say not then. What is the cause that the former days were better than these? Always thinking it used to be great. What's happened? What's gone wrong? I hear a lot of people talk that way. The Bible says in that 10th verse, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good for the inheritance. By it, it, there is profit to them that see the sun. But I'm taken by this 13th verse. Consider the work of God And then the consideration we give is who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? How can you ever straighten it out? Only God can do that. And the Lord has to enter your life and your thinking. You have to begin to think like a Christian to understand that wrongs can be made right, crooked places can be made straight, lives can be made over, God can forgive and cleanse. So consider the work of God who can make that straight which he has made crooked. It's a wonderful thing when people have been changed by the Lord and they start thinking like a Christian. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the gospel according to John chapter six. This is the most amazing chapter. I'm gonna read just a portion of it, starting with the 22nd verse in John chapter six. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one where into his disciples were entered and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. So the question is asked, how did Jesus get there? Of course, he was walking on the water Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So the stage is set, the scene is painted, the imagination is engaged. God did a miraculous thing. He got to the other side by walking across the sea. You have to put God in to believe in miracles. And when they had found him, 
on the other side of the sea. They said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, because you did eat bread of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, I'm taking an Old Testament question given in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and 7 that we are to consider to give full thought the work of God. And the reason we're to consider in full thought the work of God, to examine it carefully the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, because who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In other words, you have to live your life in such a way that when you become overwhelmed and perplexed by problems, by human impossibilities, you've considered God in the matter and you know that with God all things are possible. So we come to the New Testament and these people are inquiring from the Lord Jesus after what he's done. How can we do that? How can we do the work of God? The Bible says in verse 28, then said they unto him of John chapter 6, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? You ever think about that? You ever want to do God's work? God's work is a miraculous work. Some of you have children who are wayward, grown children who break your heart. Have you ever considered that God can change their lives? Some of you have been through difficulty in marriage. Have you ever considered what God can do to change that marriage? Make people over again? In other words, we've got to give our attention to the almighty, all-powerful, miracle-working God and what he can do and study that by faith believing what God can do. That's what both these passages lead us to. And I want you to turn to a third one. All over in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, let's look at it. In chapter 3, I want you to notice, beginning with verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, 
but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. How much he said there. It's possible to live your life and me to live my life and to give so much attention to what's going wrong in the world and who's giving us a hard time that we lose sight of the fact that God can break through and do amazing, miraculous things. Paul stops and gives a testimony. He says in verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Verse 5 Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law. A Pharisee. In other words, I tried everything I could do to please God in my own strength. Concerning zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You could examine Paul and you couldn't find anything. that he had done wrong in that matter. Again, verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, and the writer of Ecclesiastes says, all these things that don't make sense to the natural mind All these things that people are puzzled about, death and life, will you consider God and the change God can make in your life and what God can do? Sometimes I want to say to you, when you're really troubled about somebody that you love, have you considered the work of God? what God could reach down and do in the heart of that girl or that boy? What does it take to get us desperate enough to give it to the Lord? What? What does it take? Because we're able to do what we want ourselves. We're people who think we can make it happen. But you consider the work of God That's what this great book of Ecclesiastes says. Would you consider the work of God? And I want you to know that comes to my heart often when I'm thinking it's impossible to deal with people today. It's impossible to deal with families today. It's impossible to make these crooked lines straight today. And if you're not careful, you get overwhelmed by that. Paul is writing about the same thing here. 
I'm referring again to Philippians chapter 3. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In other words, I had to stop measuring things the way I used to measure things. The things I took for a prize and thought this is the greatest thing I could do and be, I had to get rid of all that. God has to bring me to the end of myself. So what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. When you're considering God, when the Lord has the worth in your life, you understand what I mean by that. When he has the worth in your life, that he rightly deserves. I may win Christ. And verse nine says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. That's our problem. Some of you looking squarely in my eyes this moment are eaten up. You're just eaten up. You're devoured, devoured by trying to have your own righteousness. And you think of yourself that way. You think of how much better you are than others. What you don't do that they do. What you live like above what they live like. But it's your own righteousness. And what is God doing? Consider him. Consider his work. Do you have to suffer all things like Paul did to be brought to the end of yourself and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. He named all those things. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And he makes the list for us. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You couldn't put me under examination and find something I'm doing wrong. But he was worthless, useless, blessedless, until he took the look at Christ he ought to take concerning himself and be found in him, verse nine, 
not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that I have those two little words underlined in my Bible, but that which is which is but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith it all became Jesus nothing more and you have to be vigilant to live that kind of life because the devil will creep in and you'll think you'll think it's a wonderful thing when it's the most ungodly, awful thing in the world because it's all the flesh and all pride. Nothing in life will make sense to you. Nothing. Until Christ has his rightful place in your life. Righteousness which is of God through faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformal unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained either were already perfect. That's where I thought I was. That's what I thought my goals were. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Christ has taken hold of my life for his purpose, not for mine. For his goal, not for mine. It can't happen until we consider God. You can live a life where nothing makes sense, or you can live the life where you realize all things are for your sakes, which is what the Word of God says. God is working on you, but it doesn't make sense to the natural mind unless you've given the Lord his rightful place. I don't know any other way to say this, but there's nothing I can do, nothing I can do to please the Lord if I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I have to consider the work of God. Even these men in John chapter six took a good look at the miraculous things, how Jesus walked on water and came and did all these things. I said, we want to do that. We, we want that. You do? Why? Why do you want that? Because I'm going to be the big shot. I'm going to be able I've considered myself and I've thought what I can do. 
but it's not considering yourself. The word of God says nothing is going to be right until you consider him, consider Christ. Because when you run up to the first impossibility of things that can't be changed, crooked things that should be straight, God brings you to the end of yourself. And the first person you're going to be disappointed with is you. And you're going to say to the Lord, I need you. I need you. Help me. If the Lord Jesus came in here, there's a crowd that would give him a hand clap. But the right crowd would be on their face, bowing and saying, oh God, help me. I'm such a sinner. Help me. And you have to consider him. And I'm going to tell you something. Nothing that you have to deal with in life is going to make real sense to anyone we give the Lord that rightful place in our lives and no longer trust in our righteousness our goodness I outdid somebody I was there when they weren't there it's a hard thing to lead a church to live this way but it's a harder thing to deal with it in your own life. Amen. <laughs> God help us. When Winston Churchill was 80 years old, the House of Commons gave him a gift. They had a famous painter paint his portrait. And give it to him. They painted his portrait with a certain scowl on his face that he was famous for, humped over in a posture he was famous for. And when he saw it, he accepted it with gratitude, but he hated it. And eventually he took the famous portrait of himself and destroyed it. That's the way the artist saw him, but that's not the way he wanted people to see him. That's not the way they wanted, he wanted to be interpreted among the people. And sometimes we think, well, I want people to see me a certain way appear a certain way and when we realize when they see us we say oh dear God how far removed I am from being the person that Christ Jesus wants me to be and the only way to correct that image is to be conformed to his likeness. 
And you know what that is? Painful. Painful. But it must take place. It must take place. May God help it to take place in our lives.